Some of you know we spent uh, spring break in New York. <clears throat> we had a, a wonderful six-day vacation planned, <clears throat> and weather and tornadoes and Delta decided it would be nine days. <clears throat> so we're happy to be back. But while we were there, some of, some of our family saw a, a new musical that's on Broadway called Come From Away. I don't know if you've heard about it. Come From Away is the story of 9-11 uh, from the perspective of a little, little town in Canada. If you remember on 9-11, they cleared the airspace and planes didn't fly for several days. And so planes got diverted to various places. One of them was this little small spot in Canada and so they had all of these passengers and, and flight crew from away, from another place. And the, the, the story is about how they responded to the needs of those who got stranded there. When there is a tragedy, when there's a disaster or, or when we hear stories or watch movies of, of war or devastation... One of the things we're always looking for is the, the redeeming moments, like the selfless acts, the courageous hearts, the, the nurses and doctors that work tirelessly in those circumstances, the soldier who, who showed courage in that moment. We're always looking for moments of beauty in the darkest stories. That's what we find in the last week of Jesus. There's a lot of darkness now, there's a lot of tragedy, but there are a couple of poignant, beautiful moments, and I want to talk about one of those uh, today. It, this story is found in three of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and John. John is the only one that places it chronologically, exactly as it happens uh, that final week. Matthew and Mark, perhaps drawing one drawing from the other, they place it in order to highlight this beautiful moment surrounded by all of the darkness that was going on, all of the tragedy, all of the reasons to despair. So in Matthew chapter 26, this story is sandwiched in between a story about the religious leaders. It starts like this, verse 3. Then the chief priest and the elders of the people assembled in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and they schemed to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him, but not during the festival, they said, or there may be a riot among the people. So, on one side of this story is the undercurrent of um, arrogance, the undercurrent of we want to get rid of this guy. It was an undercurrent that had been building for quite a while. If you read the Gospels, if you read the story of Jesus, you find these religious leaders all throughout the story trying to entrap Jesus, trying to catch Jesus, trying to trick Jesus, uh, trying to humiliate Jesus. They're always sort of lurking in the background and then occasionally they step into the spotlight to try to challenge Jesus. This had become more so the last week of Jesus Christ, largely because of Lazarus being raised from the dead, because everybody had heard about this. And the excitement around Jesus had begun to grow, and this was a greater threat to these religious leaders, so they began to look for a way to put Jesus to death, and not just Jesus. One of the gospel writers tells us that if they had the opportunity, they were going to kill Lazarus 
as well. So that's, that's one end of the story. And then the other end is kind of the shocking twist of the story. It's not so much a shocking twist for us because we hear the story every year. We kind of know the characters. We know what's going to happen. But if you were first reading this story, this would, this would kind of be the, the, you find out Darth Vader's Luke Skywalker's father moment, right? This would be the, right? You, you realize Bruce Willis is not alive in Sixth Sense, right? It's that moment where you go, it's not supposed to be that way. That's, we didn't see that coming. In this particular story, the person that you think is the good guy turns out to be the bad guy. The, the person that's been in the group becomes the betrayer of the group. Uh, this is how it reads in verse 14. Then one of the twelve, in other words, one of the good guys, one of the friends of Jesus, one of the guys that was close to him, one of them betrayed, which is shocking because this is somebody who had heard all of Jesus' teaching. This is somebody who saw Dead people come back to life. Blind people get their sight. Deaf people begin to hear. Thousands of people get fed with a lunch. This is somebody who was a witness to all of that. And all of Jesus' teachings, all of the parables, the Sermon on the Mount, this guy sat and listened to all of it, and yet he saw and he didn't see. He heard Jesus, but he didn't hear. He was there, but none of what happened really sunk into his heart, really sunk into his soul and changed him. It's, it's one of my concerns for, for the church. It's one of my concerns for Easter is that you can hear and not hear today. You, you can see and not see. I mean, you can hear the story, but it not really sink into your life and change you. You can hear the songs and even sing the songs. And it not matter when we leave. That's exactly what happened. Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and asked, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? So they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. What are you willing to give me? What do, you, what do I get out of this? That's a rather dangerous spot to be in. When our disappointment and our disillusionment lands us in a place where our only concern is, what's in this for me? I mean, Judas had been following for three years, and his disappointment that it had not gotten him what he thought it was going to get him put him in a position where he just said, look, don't I deserve to be happy? Don't I deserve a break? Mistakes are often made when our disillusionment with this world or our life or our relationship lands us in a place where our primary question is, what's in it for me? What can I get out of this? Don't I deserve to be happy? And that's where Judas is. So sandwiched between arrogant leaders who want Jesus dead and a follower who saw but didn't see who was willing to betray, 
we find this story while Jesus was in Bethany in the home of Simon the leper, which is an interesting name, right? It's really a name and an identifier, a name and a quaffer. I want to make sure you know which Simon I'm talking about. It's Simon the leper, like Jeffrey the guitar player, right? Jono the bald guy. Ken the tall guy. That I want, I want you to know who I'm talking about. I don't want you to mistake it. But that's not the most interesting part of this guy's name. The most interesting part is it can't possibly be true. He can't be Simon the leper who threw a dinner party. Because in the first century, if you were a leper, you did not throw dinner parties for people who didn't have leprosy. You weren't around people who didn't have leprosy. As a matter of fact, the rules were you kept to yourself and if anybody who didn't have your disease came into your vicinity, you had to tell them, stay away from me. I have leprosy. You don't want to get close to me. So we know this can't be Simon the leper. What it must be is Simon who used to be the leper. Simon, who met Jesus and is no longer what he used to be. This has to be Simon, the guy whose label that used to identify what was wrong with him, now identifies what Jesus did right for him. Yeah, I used to be that guy. Yeah, you met me when I was that guy. I'm not that guy anymore. And even that label, because Jesus had so changed his life, even that label no longer has power over him. I am, because I met Jesus one day, and he changed me. Always in the story of Jesus, regardless of what else is going around on the periphery, regardless of the darkness or, or, or the arrogance or the betrayal, regardless of anything else that's happening around Jesus, there were always people who were changed. There were always people who used to be one thing, and now they're something else. Who used to be enslaved, and now they're free. Who used to live in darkness, and now they live in the light, because this is what Jesus does. This is what Easter does. It changes everything. And if tomorrow you want to be something that you're not today, I know just the guy that can do that. Tomorrow, you want to leave something of your past behind and be free? Jesus can do that. That's what he did when he was on earth. That's what he continues to do. Regardless of what your story's been, regardless of what you've been identified as or what label somebody's put on you, Jesus can change all of that. While Jesus was in Bethany, in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table, which, let's admit, that's bizarre, right? Like if you invited me for dinner and before we had salad, I walked over and poured something on you, you're not inviting me to dinner again, right? Like that's it, one shot, pour something on me, you're not coming back. Well, I mean, we don't get this, co this custom, it's bizarre to us, but it was it was a way of showing honor to, to pour a little perfume or oil, some translations say. And that's exactly what this woman did. No one else did. She took this moment wanting to honor Jesus. Now, 
Other places that tell this story tell us it was nard or, or spike nard. I, I, I looked it up online. You can get it on Amazon. Okay. Prime members, two-day free shipping. You can get it on Amazon. Nard, as a matter of fact, this story is in the description of the one that I saw. I don't know if it helps sales or not. I don't know if you're an essential oils person. Maybe that's you, like you're all into. I'm not. I'm not. I'm good with you being it. You do you. I'm not. My wife is. My wife's like big essential of lavender and 10W40 and whatever other thing they have. <laughs> She's like all into that sort of thing. If you are beautiful, you do you. I, I, I'm not really into that. But Amazon tells the story. She walks over and she, she pours this on Jesus. And, and the Bible's specific to say, it wasn't on Amazon back then. It was expensive. Like if you had this in the amount that she used, you made some huge sacrifice to get it. Like you were pouring out. This wasn't some symbolic cheap act on her part. Like you, you were pouring out something of value to you. You were giving up something that you had paid a lot for. And there were people in the room who had opinions about what she did. Uh, verse 8. When the disciples saw this, they saw her pour this out. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. This, this will maybe be the most shocking part of the whole story. There were people in the room money. Like they had an opinion about how somebody else would spend their own money. It's 2017, and people don't get in other people's business today, but then, 2,000 years ago, people are all up in other people's business. Like, you should not spend your own money like that. And they specifically said, this is a waste. This is a waste. To which Jesus replies, aware of this, verse 10, Jesus said to them, why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing for me. Now, there could not be two more polar opposites opinion about what just happened. It happens, and there's two polar opinions. One is, this is a waste. And Jesus' opinion is, no, this is beautiful. This is beautiful. These weren't fringe people. These were the disciples. They walked with Jesus. They heard Jesus. They saw what Jesus did. They just didn't see things the way Jesus saw them. Which makes me ask myself, when I look at the world, when I look at life, when I look at faith, do I see what Jesus sees? Do I see with his eyes? Do I notice what he notices? Do I count as precious what he counts as precious? And then maybe a more specific question from this story. Do I see as wasteful what Jesus sees as beautiful? That would be tragic, wouldn't it? Do I look at circumstances and think, well, that's a waste. That's a waste of their time. That's a waste of their energy. That's a waste of their money. That's a waste of their family relationships and dynamics. Do I, do I look at people who are just like all in with Jesus and think, well, that's just not how the world works. That's, that's, I mean, I get it, but it's just not how the world works. Do I look at other people? Do I look at circumstances in the world and see things as wasteful? And Jesus is over here going, what are you talking about? That's beautiful. 
Or maybe the harder question would be the, the ask it the other way. Do, do I see things as beautiful that Jesus sees as wasteful? My priorities, like what I'm giving my life and myself and my energy and my time to. Am I all poured into this? And maybe Jesus is over at the side going, this, this is wasteful. What, what you're giving your life to is not beautiful. It's not going to bring you what you think it's going to bring you. Jesus goes on. The poor... You will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. People are going to remember this moment. You think it's a waste. People are going to remember this moment. Because every moment of honest, heart pouring worship of Jesus is beautiful. It's a moment that Jesus would say, that's valuable right there. That matters. Right? When somebody comes to Jesus, that matters. John talked about one of our middle schoolers as a part of our Survivor Weekend. That moment, boy, Jesus is right there. He's saying, this is beautiful right here. This is beautiful. Somebody coming to faith in Christ putting Jesus first in their life. This is beautiful. And Jesus was not minimizing our need to care for the poor. He talks about caring for the poor and the widow and the orphan in many places. The Bible talks about that extensively. Jesus was just elevating the priority of a heart that truly comes to Jesus in the middle of the craziness, the darkness and the tragedy and all the stuff that's going on in our world and in the news. Jesus was saying, even in all of that, I'm still doing beautiful things in people's lives. I'm still getting rid of people's past and giving them a new future. I'm still starting something new. And this, this would be the last intimate moment of worship that Jesus would experience before his death. The next day, Jesus would tell his disciples, bring a donkey and I'm going to ride it into Jerusalem. And there would be a crowd that day. There would be people shouting, but but even Jesus knew there were mixed emotions in that crowd. Jesus knew that many of them had heard about Lazarus and they were just showing up to see if somebody dead came to life. They were just showing up to see if some miracle happened or, or, or something crazy took place. Some of them were just responding to sort of mob mentality. Everybody was gathering and more people came and more people came. Jesus knew all throughout the crowd that day there were mixed emotions. There, there was no one who saw and heard and worshiped like this woman on that day. One of the gospel writers even says when Jesus rode into the city on Palm Sunday, he wept. Well, because of the conditions of the hearts of the people. And then Jesus would be betrayed and he'd be arrested and beaten. He'd be crucified. And he'd be put in a borrowed tomb. Which is why he added this to the story. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. And I don't think she understood that. I don't think she knew what was happening. But Jesus already knew what the next couple of days was going to hold. 
that there would be no time to prepare his body for burial. He would be taken down and hastily put in a tomb and a rock would be put over the front and soldiers would be stationed there to guard. And only three days later would women come to, to prepare the body. But when the women got there, there was no body. There was no Jesus there. There was no corpse there. And after some confusion, these women finally realized he's alive. The one who changed lives has come back from the dead and has defeated death and hell and the grave. And if he can do that, if he can accomplish the most impossible task, reuniting disobedient creatures with their creator, if he could pay the price for our sin, he can handle anything else in our lives. I mean, the resurrection really does change everything. It changes us. It, it changes our present. It changes our eternal life. It changes everything. And Jesus said people are going to remember this moment. They're going to remember this moment when she came honestly, authentically to me and poured out her heart. And your moment will be remembered. If there was ever a moment in your life when you came to Jesus and gave him your heart, I'm going to tell you, Jesus was saying, this is beautiful right here. A heart change, a life change forever and ever. This is beautiful. And for many of you this morning, that's happened. You've given your life to Christ. And if you haven't, your beautiful moment could be today. This could be the day when you realize, I need to leave my past and move into a future with Jesus. I need to believe that this is more than a story. I need not just to see, I need to see. I need to not just hear, I need to really hear and let this message sink into my life and change me forever. And that could happen to you today. By just surrendering your life to this Jesus. Letting this be more than a day. More than a story. But let this be the transformational moment of your life from death to life. I'm not sure who named them essential oils. I don't know how essential they are. Maybe very. I know what this woman did was essential. It was essential that every one of us come before Jesus at some point in our life and give him everything. Let's pray. Maybe you've had that beautiful moment in your life. Maybe you remember it. Maybe you don't remember all of the details, but you know there was a day that you came to Jesus and you gave him everything and you trusted him by faith and you left what was in the past in the past. It was a beautiful day. If that hasn't happened for you, if you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus, this could be your beautiful day. This could be the day that you surrender your life, your future, your eternity to Christ, the one who lived and died and rose again for you. Just tell him, in your own words, I've disobeyed 
I want to leave the past, and I want to trust my life to you, Jesus. Don't let it just be a story. Don't let it just be a song. Don't let it just be a service. Be changed. Be transformed. Be new from this day forward. Father, thank you that Easter changes everything. The resurrection of Jesus, the fact that he came back from the dead, changes everything. And thank you for all of the Jesus moments represented in this room when people turn from their sin and their past to Jesus by faith and let today be a beautiful moment for somebody. Let somebody turn to Christ, give their heart to him, Trust him by faith. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.